there. Um, I'm thinking we might need to move into the nursery and have the children come out here instead. Um, um, next week, actually, like the nursery over next door, it is getting too small for them over there. And so we have the nursery over here that um, we've been working on, and we're pretty much done. Um, there is still a little bit of trim work to do on the windowsills and the doors. But we're going to try next week to go ahead and have the kids be in there. It's a lot more room, but we'll just see if it's going to be too loud or not um, without the door, the second door in there. And um, just pray for me. I'm going to try to get a hold of the door guy, see if we could get a door up there as soon as possible. Um, and so that way we could have another sound barrier um, as the kids are in there. But um, we got all the floor trim done and all the carpet that's been done for a while. And so um, my wife and some of the girls going to work on doing some of the decorations in there, putting things on the wall this week. And so just pray for that. Um, pray for the nursery. Pray for a nursery to grow. Pray for our church. Um, pray for Daniel. He's away um, with family um, today. And... Um, go ahead and open your Bible to John chapter 11. Um, How does everybody's work week go? Everybody go well? Trials, hardships, fun times? Did a 16-hour shift yesterday, um, the job I'm doing, and I loved it. Only to get bad news from the regional manager saying he'd, after this upcoming week, he'd rather me not do 16-hour shifts. Um, and I'm like, man, I love it. It helps me be able to get other things done on the other days. But um, that's all right. It's a blessing to be able to have another job um, as well. Um, but my first love is pastoring here, being here. Jesus is my first love, but ministering and serving him and serving the people. And um, go ahead and um, John chapter 11, if you're not there yet. And then go ahead and turn to Genesis 45 as well as Genesis 50, um, where some of you maybe only have one or two ribbons in your Bible, so just be ready to um, turn to the various passages. Now let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer this morning, as Stacy makes her grand entrance. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this day and um, for this time to be able to be together and um, we just pray, Lord, for the children today. They've totally outnumbered us today. And just pray, Lord, that they'll be blessed over there with um, Patty's lesson, um, as well as the younger nursery kids, um, that they'll have a good time there. I know my two-year-old, he just can't wait to come to church to um, be there, see all of his friends and everything. And, um, and then as he grows, um, hopefully, Lord, that he'll be looking forward to Hearing about Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. And so in the passage in Genesis, just going to give a little bit of a background um, of, the passage, of, of Joseph's life. Um, many of you there are familiar um, with the story or biblical account of Joseph. Um, I don't usually like using the word story because sometimes it gives a connotation that it's a fable or just a, just a good story. But it's a historical, biblical um, account. And then so about Joseph, we um, end up seeing in his life that he was well favored by his father. That, that he was his son's 
favorite child. And that breeded jealousy among his other sons. It ended up bringing about even a hatred for Joseph. And so while his dad um, thought he was doing him a favor by him being well favored and always giving him all the blessings, he was actually doing his son a disservice by showing the favoritism. Now, um, they hated him. Some even wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him. But they decided to sell him into slavery instead as a lesser punishment. Can you imagine that? The lesser punishment is to sell you off to complete strangers, to foreigners, to be a slave. That's the lesser punishment. Genesis 37, 27. Um, it says, Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let our, not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. Content with selling his brother into slavery. Joseph, having been a hard-working slave, ends up getting um, favor in the eyes of his master, in the eyes of others, and so he is given a, a prominent position. And then Potiphar's wife tried seducing him. And he fled. And she was displeased and accused him of rape. Even though he took the high road, he got hit with a low blow. He did the right thing, and he suffered for it. Stories far less severe than Joseph's story makes us sometimes ask, why do bad things happen to good people? We see later, he, while well, he is cast into prison, and this prison was not like the prisons of today where um, you, just, you get all that free food, you get that free TV, you get the free working out. These were like dungeons. These were places you did not want to be. Nowadays, you have people committing crimes because they want the free housing. We see while in prison, he interpreted the dreams of two others in prison, a cupbearer and a baker. There was good news to the cupbearer, bad news for the baker. And then Joseph just asked if the cupbearer would remember him when he gives the interpretation um, of the dream um, to um, the, the leader there. He forgets them. And so he continues more years in prison. But then he is eventually, after the, the, he gives the interpretation of the dream, um, he is then brought up and he is the second in charge. He is, he, he is up there as a leader in Egypt. And he prepares the land for a famine that's going to come that God revealed to him in the dream. And, and that there's going to be a famine, I believe it was for seven years. And so Joseph took prudence and prepared for it. And then comes the time when Joseph's own brothers 
when the famine hits there, they end up coming to Egypt looking for food. As many of the nations did, they came to Egypt begging for food or trying to do any kind of trade they can do. They come and realize that Joseph is no longer a slave, but in command over the affairs of Egypt. And they end up being fearful for their lives. That here their father sent them to Egypt to, to get some food, and then they see his brother in charge. Genesis 45, 7 says, And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God, and he have made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Here they're all fearful. And yet Joseph, he doesn't take a heart of revenge. He, 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 he doesn't scold them. But he tells them, Go back, bring my father, or uh, bring my brother. Or they were keeping this. And so then they went back. But the father ends up perishing in the meantime, dies. And they come back and they're fearful again. Genesis 50. And so then they're afraid. They're afraid that they're going to be made into slaves and Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for, I, for am I in the place of God. But as for you, ye thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good. To bring new past, it is, is in, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore, fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Now go ahead and turn to John chapter 11. But Joseph has the heart and a recognition of the sovereignty of God. That yes, you meant evil unto me. You meant damage to me. But God meant it unto good, to bring to pass. It is this day to save much people alive. That through this terrible tragedy of being sold as a slave, almost being killed, and, and, then, and then being accused, wrongly accused of rape, and then thrown into prison and forgotten in prison, that God meant all evil that happened unto him for good to save the nation that would be Israel and to then be where the seed of the Messiah would come from. That God used the evil to bring much good to pass. John 11 verse 45 and we'll see basically a parallel story completely different, different account but where we see God using what was meant for evil to be used for good. Here we see in Genesis that it was Joseph's brothers that meant evil, and then yet Joseph 
used that. God used Joseph to save his brothers. So the opposite of revenge. Showing grace. Showing mercy. John eleven forty five. This is just after Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man do of many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. Now many... They saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead and not believing on him. And many of them followed him. But some made it their mission to tattle on what Jesus had done to Lazarus as if it was some horrible thing. Raising someone from the dead. Man, you see the family members, they're all delighted. Wow, our, our brother is back. And they want to go tattle on him and, and to the Pharisees. Um, they went to the Pharisees that they would have been those that were more astute in, in the law um, and, and, and understanding it. And they had their religious traditions. But then there were the chief priests, which consists of the Sadducees primary. And so then the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they wanted to discuss this matter because more people might believe on him. And if they believe on him, what's going to happen is where right now Israel, they're under occupation by Rome, that Rome is leading over them. And, and so that they're given some liberty where they could exercise some of their laws, some of their traditions, some of their religious observances, um, but they, uh, even the legislative and judicial, but they cannot exercise the death penalty. And so that's why they wanted to bring Rome involved. They wanted to get them involved. But they were afraid so many people were going to believe on Jesus that Rome would then come in and take away all of their any fr little freedom that they had and take it completely away. But again, understand that Jesus just did a miracle that proved, that showed He was the Son of God. That showed He was the Resurrection. That he was the life. And yet they still did not believe. Many of them did not believe on Jesus. Even though there was clear evidence. Homer Kent wrote in his book, Light in the Darkness. This response of unbelief in the face of the clearest proof is confirmation of Christ's teaching in Luke 16, 31. If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. The chief cause of unbelief was not inadequate information, but a heart in rebellion against God and His Word. 
There was all the proof that was needed. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He already fed the multitudes from a few fish and loaves. We see later that Jesus dies and he himself rises again. And yet people still rejected, resisted him. You know, sometimes today people will say things like, man, if God will just show himself to me, if God will just appear or send Jesus again, then maybe I'll believe. And Alan mentioned he had some of those questions before he was saved. You know what? Why doesn't God just make himself real? And now we see throughout the Old Testament, we see during the time of the law, God did signs and wonders um, in the sight of the people to confirm the message, to, to show him that, show that, you know what, Moses was leading, he was bringing in the law to show that he was sent from God. And in the time of the prophets, God enabled the prophets to do different miracles to confirm the word. Again, in the New Testament, by Jesus doing the different miracles, it was to, to be one, fulfillment of prophecy about Him, to show what He would be doing, what He would do, the miracles that would happen. And it was, it says, when the apostles were given different powers and wonders, it was to confirm the Word of God. But then it comes to a point when enough is enough. That God has clearly proven it. That God has showed Jesus to be the Lamb of God. And He proved that He gave Him the evidence, clear evidence beyond any doubt. And then they would continue to ask, send me, or give us a sign. Give us a miracle. Show us that you're really the Christ. Plainly show us. And Jesus said, Adulterous and wicked generation seek of after a sign. But there will be no more sign given but one. That is, Jonas was in the belly of the well three days and three nights. So shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth and would rise again. His resurrection happened. A literal, historical account that happened. And yet people still don't believe. People still want to reject it. The Pharisees could not by themselves take judicial action against Jesus. They, again, they were under Roman control. It was the Sanhedrin that had the highest judicial body in Israel. There were 70 members of the Sanhedrin in Jesus' day, dominated by chief priests. Almost all of them were priests or were Sadducees. There were a minority that were the Pharisees. And it, but the Pharisees were the influential minority of the Sanhedrin council. The Pharisees and the Sadducees often were at odds with one another. They were in conflict doctrinally, politically. The Pharisees, they were devoted to the law um, and the Old Testament. They were held the Old Testament, the prophets, and the law to be the Word of God and their added traditions. 
The Sadducees accepted only the first five books of the Bible. The Pharisees affirmed the resurrection of the body and the assistance of angels. The Sadducees, they didn't believe in angels, and they did not believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. <laughs> There's no hope after this life. You'd be a Sadducee. Okay? The, um, the Pharisees were the ultra-nationalists. They were patriotic. The Sadducees were the compromising politicians simply to gain any opportunity they can to be on top. The Pharisees were primarily from the middle class of Jewish society. The Sadducees were the wealthy politicians. But despite their differences, despite their um, hatred for one another, they had a mutual hatred for Jesus. They didn't want any loss of power, any loss of control. You see, in, in verse 48, they say the Romans shall come. They say, if we let him thus alone, talking about Jesus, if they let him alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. The Jews did not want to believe even after Jesus rose from the dead. And that's not to say all of them. It said many of the Jews did believe, but that some of them did not, even after that was shown. There, there were the fearful, escalating expectations that Jesus was the Messiah and that this would start a public movement against Rome, uh, um, against Rome and, and provoke them to take the rest of the Jewish freedoms away. Then Caiaphas enters the scene. One of them named Caiaphas in verse 49, being a high priest the same year, said unto him, Ye know nothing at all. Now, Josephus writes about the Sadducees, that they were very boorish in their behavior, that they were very rude. And now you kind of would expect him to say that, because the Pharisees, again, hated the Sadducees. Okay? And so, but he wrote of them that they were pretty rude with one another, even with each other. And here he tells them, um, ye know nothing at all. Now, Caiaphas became the high priest around 18 AD. His father-in-law was Annas, who had previously functioned in the same position and had great influence over the priest's office. Later down the road, um, in 36 AD, along with Pontius Pilate, he was removed by the Romans. But prior to that, he took a leading part in the trial and condemnation of Jesus speaking up at the council of the need for one to die for the nation. In verse 50, John 11, verse 50. Nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. So, you know, it's, it's getting to a point, it's needful. It is better for this one man named Jesus to die than for the whole nation of Israel to perish. He simply meant for Jesus that Jesus should be executed in order to spare their own positions and nation 
from consequences at the hands of the Romans. But he unknowingly used sacrificial, substitutionary atonement language, language that prophesied of the death of Christ. God's providence of using a high priest is a prophet by directing the choice of words so as to express the heart of God's glorious plan of salvation in redeeming man from their sin. And this speaking not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. And not for that nation only, but also he, that he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Then from that day forth, they took counsel together for, to put him to death. Okay, now in their minds, he wasn't saying it is a prophecy. He was just saying it'd be better for him to die, that way the nation would be spared, and that many more would come back to the land of Israel. But God directed the steps. Man in his heart divisive his own way, but God directed the steps. And that God would use him to give a prophetic utterance that while they're seeking out to kill him, that this was all unfolding God's plan. Using what they meant for evil to do good unto them. Joseph's brothers did much evil to Joseph. And yet Joseph turned and blessed them, gave them grace, gave them mercy, served them, provided for them. And likewise, those that hated Jesus, Jesus was going to willingly lay his life down for them, pave a way for salvation for those that hated him. But from that day forth, their mission was fixed. They didn't simply want to arrest him for him to be tried in court, but rather he was already judged guilty for blasphemy. They simply wanted a court for formality. But the death and resurrection of Christ would bring reconciliation between those who hated each other, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Jews, and the Romans, those that hated each other, God would reconcile to one day be together as one body, the church, and reconciling them to Himself. They who were enemies of the cross, um, they, they, they that were enemies of Christ, He would reconcile by His death on the cross. You need to understand that man cannot squash God's plans. Acts 2.23 likewise says, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God have raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. Now there, Peter's preaching. Yes, you by wicked, evil hands slayed this man, Christ Jesus. But this was all part of God's determinate plan. His foreknowledge, 
None of it was a surprise to God. It was part of His plan to use what they meant for evil for Him to show grace and mercy to the world. People often question, you know what, why does God allow this bad thing to happen? Why does that happen to this child? You know, if God's a good God. And they just really don't get it. They don't realize that the heart of man is sinful, is wicked, and that God shows His grace despite our wickedness. We see God again in Matthew 27. That Pilate ends up saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. He saw Jesus is innocent. He goes, see ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and our children. His blood be on us and our children. They're saying, we'll take the blame. We'll take it. We don't care. His blood could stay in our hands. We want Him killed. And yet God used their evil as His method to offer supernatural forgiveness. Daniel 9.9 says about God, To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against Him. You know what, people want to sometimes paint the Old Testament as this cruel, wrathful God, and the New Testament is this meek and lowly Jesus, not seeing that they are both inseparably linked. That here in the Old Testament, it's talking about the mercies of God. It's talking about the forgiveness of God. We see Jonah gets upset after Nineveh repents because he knew that God was long-suffering. That he knew God was merciful and he did not want to see God's mercy on the people of Nineveh. We see Nahum talks about the goodness of the Lord. Then we see Jesus when He's on the cross. He prays, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted His raiment and cast lots. They crucified Him. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? There is only one person who ever lived a truly good life. His name was Jesus. God's only begotten Son, even though He lived a sinless life, God allowed Him to experience horrible things. He was misunderstood. He was mocked. He was mistreated, misrepresented. He was stripped, stretched, stabbed. He was prodded, pummeled, pierced. Nails were driven through His hands and feet, and thorns were pressed into His skin, into His skull. Why would a good God allow His own Son to suffer like this? But yet it was because He was bringing about the greater good, accomplish a bigger plan of saving mankind that is sinful. If God would have kept His Son from suffering, where would we be today? We'd still be lost in our trespasses and sins. We wouldn't have any hope for forgiveness or salvation. If we think about this for a while, you can really see how God can do the supernatural works when bad things happen to good people. The Lord God is good even when we suffer. When you suffer, 
when you go through hardship? You know, don't base the goodness of God on just when your life is prosperous. Just when you're in good health. Realize that God is good all the time. Charles Spurgeon said this, It is one thing to sit under your vine and fig tree and to sing the Lord is good. It is quite another thing when the vine and fig tree have both been cut down and all your comfort is gone still to say the Lord is good. Do you not think that if we fail to say it the second time, it will look as if after all it was the vine and the fig tree that were good and not God? Or at least that our view of God's goodness was very much derived from the fact of our being in so much comfort. It was the accusation which Satan brought against Job that he loved God for what he could get out of him. He says, Hast not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he have on every side? Oh, as Satan had with Job, he sat on his dunghill, scraping his sores, with his children dead, his property gone. And yet he said, The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. All comforts, all good things of this life taken away. And he still recognized, blessed be the name of the Lord. Nahum said, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he know of them that trust in him. Romans 5.8 says, but God commended his love toward us. in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. <clears throat> what was it that the people cried out? His blood. Let His blood be upon us and our children. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we were saved by His life. The means of shedding His blood through death would be what would save the people and spare them from the wrath of God. You look at Joseph's life. The things he suffered, the things he struggled through, the false accusations, being in jail, all the hurt that his brothers caused. But that would all one day be the means that his brothers, his family, his people, his nation would be saved in the time of famine. And then you go in the New Testament. The people that cried for the blood of Jesus, called for His death, it would be by that very means God offers salvation, that God offers forgiveness to Him. I'm going to just read off a bunch of scriptures. You could write them down, but time's sake, we're not going to, I'm not going to turn you every single one. I just have them all written down here. But we see in Romans 3.25 that God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. 
Ephesians 1.7 says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Ephesians 2.13 But now in Christ Jesus you were some t- who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Colossians 1.14 In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1.20 And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. Hebrews 9.22 And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Hebrews 10.19 Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. 1 Peter 1.18 says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. 1 John 1.7 The blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. Revelation 1.5 And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. The very sins of the people that would execute him. The sins of their children and their children's children that eventually leads up to us today. Revelation 7.14 These are they which came out of great tribulation, have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Romans 8.28 And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. They're saying, you know what? God saved you if you're saved. Okay? God's redeemed you. And we must trust that all things will work together for good. Think on this past year. Think about maybe some of the hardships you went through. Think about some of the trials. And hopefully, maybe today you could see how that it was terrible. But maybe God meant that for good in your life. Maybe it's something in a more distant future. Maybe it's something you're going through right now. You don't understand how God could mean this for good. But that's where we must trust in Him. That all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are called according to His purpose. It cost Jesus His blood, His life, to pay the price to give you forgiveness. When you forgive someone, it's because you or someone you love has been hurt in some manner. We see Joseph, how he forgave his brothers. Most of us probably would have a very challenging time to forgive our family if they sold us into slavery to another nation where you experience prison. False accusations. Your character is questioned. 
we would have a hard time forgiving that. But yet we see Joseph did the right thing. He forgave them. He realized they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And there may be some type of evil, some type of bad thing going through your life. Have you just given it to God? And let God use it for good somehow. You may not understand how He's going to, but you be willing to forgive. could be that God's simply doing a sanctifying work in you. You know, people talk about forgiveness is about releasing the prisoner. But you really realize that you were the prisoner. You were the one that was bitter before. You were the one that maybe had hate towards someone because of how somebody wronged you. But when you forgive, it gives a freedom that it no longer consumes your mind. It no longer aches you beyond measure. But you're able to forgive. Able to let it go. May we learn to forgive others. Turn to Colossians 3. Colossians 3, verse 12. It says, Put on therefore as the elect of God, Holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Forbear one another. To forgive one another. That if there's a quarrel that you have, whether it would be someone in the church or some family member, some neighbor, somebody outside there, Forgive. We see Jesus as He was crucified. said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And it may be by you forgiving someone is what draws them to salvation. Which draws them to repentance. We'll close with one more passage on Ephesians if. Um, to go ahead and play the instruments over to speakers. Maddie's still back there. Play, go ahead and play music. Ephesians 4, verse 31. It says, Let all bitterness... No, it's written verse 30 first. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness. You know now, you know if you're bitter. The Bible even talks about bitterness is envy, is envy and it's, it's rottenness of the bones. When you're bitter, it's going to affect your health. It's going to affect your mental well-being. So the Bible says, let all bitterness 
and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Get rid of the negative. May you watch any of the political debates back and forth. You just see bitterness, you see anger, you see hatred toward one another. No longer do many campaign on principle and policy, but on slander. And it's on both sides. It's on both sides. No one is without blame. But here, the Bible says, put these off and be kind one to another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, have forgiven you. Just as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. May we be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. And you go ahead and pray in your seat. You know, if there's any bitterness, anything, any maybe questioning of God, of why he's allowing something in your life.